the last word on the environment on Today FM. With ESB Networks, connecting you to a clean electric future. ESBnetworks.ie uh, And John Gibbons is with us now and it's already, he hasn't even spoken and he's irritating some of you. Here we go once again, says Conan Limerick, with Gibbons on trashing farmers and blaming us for everything while Brazil is going to double its herd of cattle, getting very tired of the trashing of a way of making a living and a life. Another one says, oh yeah, keep plugging the extreme green policies that are going to restrict food production that will only make inflation worse. A child can see it, but you and the general media are so enthralled to the environmental loony agenda that you can't see that. Hello, John Gibbons. How are you? Good evening, Matt. It's always a pleasure to be here and it's great to hear from, from our listeners. OK, emissions of 4.7% in 2021, says the Environmental Protection Agency. So what? Yeah, I guess, first of all, we kind of expected this because obviously 2020 we had lockdown and we we, we saw a cut in emissions over 2019 as, as as we expected. Transport emissions were down. Probably the only emissions actually that went up Matt in 2020 were household residential emissions for the obvious reason that hundreds of thousands of us were actually at home more. So We've expected that to, to rebound in 2021, and of course it has. So, as you said, overall emissions 4.7% up. Uh, in transport, uh, 6.1% up. Now, again, we expect that because, of course, as anyone who's out in the roads will know, we've rebounded, basically. The, the so-called uh, transition to EVs or public transport or whatever you have in yourself, this hasn't really bitten at all yet. So that 6.1% basically meant a return effectively to business as usual. Uh, in, in the residential sector, as I said, it is down slightly, but it's still uh, above the 2019 levels. So we're not really making progress there yet. And in the biggest sector, which is currently responsible for 37.5% of our total national emissions, which of course is agriculture or specifically livestock agriculture, uh, overall last year it's up 3% and that the EPA broke that down into it being comprised of a 5.8% rise in fertiliser use and a 2.8% expansion of the dairy herd. And as we know, the, the dairy herd in particular has expanded continuously now for about the last nine years. And that's really driven uh, the increases we're seeing in the agriculture sector. I put a lot of questions to Leo Varadkar last night about the targets for uh, tackling global warming here in Ireland between now and 2030. And particularly we focused on agriculture. Why would it have gone up in pre in post-COVID times? COVID didn't affect agricultural emissions, did it? No, it didn't. In fact, agricultural emissions went up in 2020 as well. Okay, so, yeah. so if they've been going up in the last couple of years, how are they going to fall 22% between now and 2030? If it is 22%, because we heard in the 5 of 5 that Eamon Ryan is still of the belief it should be maybe more towards the 30% target. Well, I'd love to know. In fact, I, I listened earlier today on the radio to uh, Professor Frank O'Mara, who's the director of Chagast, and that's our National Agricultural Research Agency. And he was asked by another presenter in another studio, how are we going to do this? And basically, he has no answers other than to talk about technology. He mentioned that they're doing some interesting work and they may have some peer-reviewed studies that may be published uh, in a couple of years' time and they may be helpful. So we may manage some some uh, additives, we may improve our sward mixture, but essentially all of these things, Matt, and these have been looked at over and over again, what they can do, they are helpful, but what they do is they nibble around the edges. Are they going to get our emissions from the agriculture and particularly from livestock down by 22%. They're not... If you don't cull cattle. Of course not. I mean, it's, it's really simple. 
the reason that agricultural emissions have risen so strongly and so consistently over the last number of years. It's not rocket science. This is to do with the increase in herd and particularly the increase in dairy herd uh, because dairy cattle produce more emissions per head, a lot more emissions per head than beef cattle because of the intensive nature of the work. So as we've output, increased our milk output, our methane and milk mat are basically tied at the hip. So as our milk output has increased, our methane has gone up with it. And there's simply no getting away from that. And yeah, we but, can but dance John, around the pin on this all day long. Yeah, but how many people's livelihoods depend on this output? How many farmers do we have in the country who have cattle and this is their way of life that you're asking them to, in some way, give up or restrict? Well, OK, let's do the numbers. Dairy, dairy uh, farms, we reckon about 16,000. Now, versus, versus the totality of farming, that is basically maybe an eighth to a tenth of the farming community. Now, again, this has to be seen, Matt, in the context of policy. And let me just give you a headline from the IFA today. They put out a statement saying that basically the reason why agricultural emissions are rising is, and I quote, government policy. So the IFA are blaming the government for what's happening at the moment. So they're saying, don't look at us, it's government policy. Now, you've got to ask the question, who's been driving government policy? And of course, that's been driven by a very aggressive agricultural lobby. Now, they haven't taken account and have, have chosen not to take account of science and have pushed ahead with this. And I just think it's enormously ironic that the people now being thrown under the bus by the IFA today are the very government that they lobbied and demanded that they concede okay. on this. There's a lot of messages coming into 0874100102 and I will summarise them by saying that the argument been put across by many supporters of our farmers or by farmers themselves is that if we decide to cut the size of our national herd, the Brazilians and other countries will simply laugh at us and take the opportunity to further increase the size of their already gigantically bigger herds of cattle. So what we won't be doing any good for the environment or for the world. In fact, what we'll be doing is here in our grass-based system, we'll be giving up part of that and allowing other parts of the world which are less suited to dairy and beef production to take advantage of that. Okay, that argument, Matt, is known as the carbon leakage argument. That has been looked at, for example, by Professor Alan Matthews of Trinity, and he said, basically, there is no foundation to the carbon leakage argument. It's a favourite argument, which basically says, if we don't do it here, somebody else will do it. Now, that's not a great... If what you're doing is environmental wreckage and driving climate disaster, saying that if we don't drive environmental wreckage and climate disaster in Ireland, the Brazilians will drive environmental wreckage and climate disaster. Would you accept the Brazilians are already doing that. Well, the Brazilians are far worse than we are no, at present. No, I actually wouldn't. And I oh, sorry, say, we no, don't have the Amazon rainforest here in this country to destroy. That's what they're doing. Well, of course, we've already cleared our biodiversity, right? The, the, the difference with the Amazon, and you know, Matt, it's great to sit in a studio in Dublin, right, in our air-conditioned studio, wagging our fingers at people in the third world trying to make a living, right? Brazil's hardly the third world. Brazil is, if, call it the second world, if you like, but many of the Brazilian farmers, by the way, not the big ranchers, but the farmers, would be what we would called third world. And we're the ones, by the way, our per capita emissions in Ireland are far in excess of the Brazilian per capita emissions. And as I say, if we take the approach that if the other guy doesn't do it, I won't do it. And we, as one of the richest, wealthiest, first world countries, the very argument, Matt, is being made right now in Brazil and in China and in Argentina, they're saying, well, hang on a second, why on earth should we do anything? Those guys in Ireland, those rich people in the first world in Ireland with all their subsidies, all their comforts, 
They're doing nothing. They're pointing fingers at us. Why should we act? Now, Are you saying we're not prepared to give up things here in this country? Of course we're not. We're not prepared to accept the potential for possibly a different standard of living what might be considered a lower standard of A different of standard of living. What we're not prepared to do, and this I think, and I'm really glad that we're having this conversation at the end of a week where we've seen parts of London on fire when temperatures in the, in, in the UK, in the island of Britain, Matt, for the first time in recorded history, broke 40 degrees centigrade. We've seen deadly heat waves sweeping week after week across Europe. This basically is our near-term future. And all the people sitting at home, wagging their fingers at the radio today, are the very same people who in a few years' time are going to be phoning in Matt Cooper saying, Matt, why didn't the media tell us what was going on? How could you have let the lobbyists and the, the, the self-interested people stuff money into their pockets while the world burned down and our climate collapsed. And by the way, Matt, on this, while I'm on a roll, the farmers won't thank you either, as our landscape here is destroyed by flooding, heat waves, drought and more flooding. Let's hear a little bit of what the Tánis de Varadkar had to say on this show yesterday when I brought up various climate change issues with him. You can hear the full interview. It's available as a podcast at the Today FM website or on the Listen Back service. Anyway, this was in relation to what our response as citizens would be to climate change actions that might reduce living standards. Uh, a certain amount of climate change is now inevitable, baked in, could be permanent, so we have to adapt to it, and that's important. Um, but we also need to make sure that we don't continue to make it worse. Um, can that be achieved without reducing living standards? I, I believe it can. I fully appreciate that other people don't share that view, um, but I'm somebody who, uh, I suppose, is, is, is an eco-capitalist, dare I say it. I'm somebody who actually believes that you can um, achieve a lot of climate action through new technologies, um, and that... Uh, Climate action can spur a lot of investment that will create new jobs, create new businesses, create new revenues. So to give you one small example, um, I would love Ireland to become uh, a net exporter of electricity within 10 or 15 years and a net exporter of energy within uh, a generation. That is possible. Um, and that is by okay so the main thing we do is develop we develop uh, our offshore wind we can produce many gigabits of energy or gigawatts of energy um, offshore with our offshore wind um, add that to solar as well and there's some potential for solar in Ireland uh, you bring that ashore you use it to produce electricity. We sell that to the grid. We're building new interconnector with France at the moment. We have an interconnector with Britain. Uh, we well, when we have surplus electricity, we sell it abroad. That's just part of it. And if you want to catch up on it, we also spoke about uh, data centres, for example, which he defended. Uh, he also said we would not be imposing any taxes on aviation fuel because aviation is far too important for getting onto and off uh, the island. And uh, he also said, and he absolutely was categoric, that it would be a harebrained idea to try and confiscate second family cars, said that simply would not be happening. But describing himself, John, as an eco-capitalist and trust that technology can sort the problems. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we have some engagement from Leo Varadkar, who a couple of years ago rightly described himself and Ireland as climate laggards. So, OK, we've got a bit of engagement. That's good. Uh, eco-capitalism, it's a nice idea, Matt, but let's see the numbers. If he can show us how he and his government are going to bend the emissions curve in the direction that it needs to go, then I'm all for eco uh, for eco-capitalism. I was going to call it ego-capitalism. Eco-capitalism, right? I'm all for eco-capitalism if Leo Varadkar can deliver it. The problem is we've been talking a great fight on climate change in this country over the last couple of years. And as we talk... The temperatures go up, the emissions go up, the temperatures are going to stay up and those emissions are going to stay up for a very, very long time, long after the eco-capitalists have left politics, I might add. 
But the argument, sir, is that we'll cope or that even if we do make the changes, Ireland is a tiny contributor. Whatever you say about per head of population, all the rest of it, the issues are what the United States does, what India does, what China does, what Russia does. Not little old Ireland. I know. And it's funny that because little old Ireland, with we have our diaspora amount of 70 million uh, people claiming Irish heritage around, around the world. We take great pride in the fact that we punch way above our weight diplomatically around the world. We're, we're, we really are an influential little country. And that can be, of course, for good and it can also be for ill. And I think in many ways, Irish diplomacy abroad and soft power, I think, has been a, has been a a force for good in the world. But the area where we've really, really come up short is on the whole area of doing our fair share, Matt. Not anymore. Nobody is asking Ireland to take some amazing hit and to shut itself down to deal with climate change. We're simply saying, how about, let's take, for example, if we take 1990 as the average, right across the European Union, the average... 31.6% cut in emissions across Europe. In the same period, Matt, Irish emissions have gone up 6.2% against 1990. So there's three decades of no progress. Okay, listener says, I've turned off, Matt. Uh, Not not listening to a rant like this. More farmer bashing. Where is the farmer representation on your programme? We had uh, the Deputy President of the Irish Farmers Association on the programme yesterday. And the IFA won't come on with Sean Givens, as it happens anyway. But we do talk to farmer representatives on this programme as well. But this is our weekly conversation with John Givens because climate change whether you agree it's man-made or not, and the science overwhelmingly says that it is dictated by human activity, is such that we have a gigantic crisis on our hands and we are not ignoring it in this programme. But I want to just take something very briefly else to discuss just to finish up before we have our competition and talk about the All-Ireland Football Final. You want to talk about the intelligence of bees and wasps. Yeah, Matt, when you give up on humanity, you kind of, you start looking elsewhere, right? <laughs> so, I I, um, I guess my eye was drawn to a, a new book called The Mind of a Bee and I thought, that's pretty interesting. That's a pretty small place. And this is by a guy called uh, Professor Lars Chitka of the University of London. And uh, his book basically uh, takes some incredibly interesting Interesting new research. And it establishes, for example, that bees have emotions. They can plan and they can imagine things and they can recognize themselves as unique entities distinct from other bees. So, for example, they can also count. Right, And again, you can see why I've moved on uh, to bees. They're actually numerate and prepared to actually look at the evidence in front of them. So apparently we haven't looked yet at how advanced bees are in terms of denying reality. But what's so fascinating is how <laughs> clever these little guys are. Uh, for example, they, what we found, for example, is that when they, what, what's called a genius bee, when the genius bee teaches the other bees a particular Routine. The other bees, not just, they don't just parrot that routine. They will actually adapt and they will improve the routine. Now, what that tells us, Matt, is that bees uh, experience what's called intentionality. They can internally model which means they have an imaginative space, which again, you can see where we're going with our conversation about bees today. Another really fascinating thing is that bees can suffer post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Now, the cruel scientists running this experiment, what they did was they set up uh, these uh, spiders uh, to jump out of the bees when they landed on particular plants. And then they followed those bees for a number of days afterwards and they discovered the poor creatures were traumatised and they stopped eating. They wouldn't even land on safe plants as a result of it. So I guess, joking apart, what this is about, this means that that sentience, 
feelings, emotional states are much more widespread in the, in the, in the animal kingdom. By the way, we're part of the animal kingdom. In the animal kingdom than we tend to give credit for. And what I find so fascinating about this is that we really need to broaden our empathy and to look at the impacts that we're making on this world that are pushing so many of our fellow creatures to the edge. John Gibbons, it's time for you to buzz off. Thank you very much for being with <laughs> us this evening. Uh, a listener says, why all this farmer bashing is causing huge stress and mental health issues to farmers? Another one says, every day, John Gibbons lecturing us for half the show. Give us a break from all his anti-Irish climate fundamentalism. You haven't been on since last Thursday, have you? haven't been on since uh, you could yourself, us on a Thursday. Yeah, last Thursday. So, yeah. yeah, I guess it must be one of my Twitter fans. But look, life's, them's the breaks. And, and another list says, I'm sure he's not a farmer, but you do come from a farming family. I, and your own father was one of the founding members of the precursor to the IFA. That is correct, yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm not uh, taking any credit, by the way, for, 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 the, for, for my father's achievements, I should add, Matt. Uh, but yeah, I come from farming stock, grew up in the countryside. And... You know, I'm a strong believer in the entrepreneurialism of farmers, the hard work, the creativity. But I will tell you this, they're incredibly badly led. Thank you very much, John Gibbons. The last word on the environment on Today FM. With ESB Networks, connecting you to a clean electric future. ESBnetworks.ie.